For those just tuning in that don't know Julian, you're in for a treat because he is just brilliant. Like, it's just years ahead. I mean, I first I mean, we met a few weeks ago in person for the first time, but I've been learning from you and following you in various regards since your days at CrossFit Invictus, where you're talking about uh, tension over, uh, I think it's tension over position. So it's just very simple. Like, talking about torque, uh, yep. creating this engagement. Um, I mean, just the sheer amount of things that you could discuss, whether it's from lactate, talking about the body's physiological response, um, and the stuff you were talking, I, I know I heard listening to a few podcasts with uh, Rich, and your uh, original StrongFit partner, talking about emotion mm -hmm. mapping in the body, um, talking about everything you're doing now with the autism uh, prediction observation spectrum. I mean, there's just so much stuff. I, I can't get over how... Um, excited like I am to be able to talk to you, but just for people like what you're going to be able to bring forward. And I think most people, if they haven't heard of your strong fit stuff, they will hear about the things you're going to be working for with the autism community and just really getting that engaged. So I was saying, so first of all, you can hear I'm French, so I apologize. I did not choose my parents, but I, I swear I'm trying to make up for it in my life. Um, so if you don't understand certain things or when I say certain words, well, sorry. I mean, like, I cannot change the accent, trust me. It works with women, so at least I get that, right? Anyway, so um, I'm first, it's a bit complicated, but let's say I'm a movement specialist, right? And um, I worked with Invictus for a while, so I've been within the realm of CrossFit since 2007, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and But I'm a movement specialist first, and so a lot of the stuff that I do ended up being, like, you know, training athletes, because I've trained like professional in many different sports, I've been on an athlete side myself for a long time, so I've always been within this realm of movement, fitness, competition, and all of that. And just life took me to a world more like a prehab. Like, you know, like I trained a lot of athletes, and you always end up with the same reality that in order to get better, you have to stop getting hurt. And I know it sounds obvious when I say it like that, but it's, yes, for sure, but like, how do you do that? So suddenly, Prehab matters as much as rehab, and if not more, actually. If you really want to perform, then prehab matters more than rehab, because it means you've already been too late. And so I started to go into, like, all right, so prehab, what are we talking about? And so that led me to, for example, tension over position, because too many times I saw athletes getting hurt because they were in a position that was taught to them, but that their body did not either agree to or they did not understand the the find points of the position. It's a bit like Jiu-Jitsu. You know, like a white belt is being taught to put his leg here and his elbow there and everything. Once you're a black belt, you were like, dude, it's not that. It's the concept, the leverage, and you know what I mean? So, but you have to start somewhere, right? So you start as a white belt. The problem is if you continue down that path, you only repeat techniques mm -hmm. with a very, like, you know, gnostic way of doing things. You will never progress to a black belt. At some point, you will have to find your game that's purple belt. Then from that, you're going to have to perfect your game until you're a black belt and then you move. So then after that, it's flowing with Jiu-Jitsu. So that aspect of martial arts taught me a lot about movement because it ended up being the same. So the deadlift is don't round your back. Okay, but what about arching your back? Is that good or is that bad? Because I can look at the top deadlifter right now, Jamal Browner, and he would have what is described as a rounded back, even though it's not. It's just neutral spine. And so you start to get into those deeper conversations if you want to be able to help. And so that was the first thing. And then after a while, you start to go into the nervous system because you realize that you can do about 80% of the work is physical, and then you get to the next stage, which is more, and I'm not even talking about mentally, I'm talking about just how your nervous system reacts to things. 
all of us have had at least one training session where we broke down crime. Like, you know, you push really hard and you push past a certain limit and you start to feel the weird things and you break down and emotions come up and everything. And so we all know that feeling. I mean, at least if you train hard, you know exactly what I mean. And so my question is like, oh, right, so what just happened exactly, right? I'm sure I'm not the only one because I looked around and then I had fun pushing people there, right? Saying like, let's see if I can break him and if he falls on the ground crying. And you actually can do that. And so I was like, oh, that's fun. So let's do that some more and see what happens, right? And it's like, can I systemize it? Can I break everybody down? So who can resist? So you start having your sadistic side coming out, which is very nice. I mean, um, that way you hate yourself less. That way, you, the more you hurt people, the less you, you hate yourself. So it's awesome. Anyway, so. I started to go from there and trying to understand, okay, so what is happening exactly? So you start to study the nervous system and then more and more questions start to pop up and you try to go upstream to the fundamental principles that would lead you to understand what happens down here, basically down river, because this is really what matters is you try to catch, uh, it's, you know, you try to catch problems as early as you can, right? It's better. It's, um, you see that in physics, you see that uh, everywhere. You know, first principles type of thing is that you have to break down a problem toward its most, not simplistic, but most simple uh, uh, principles, but no simpler than that, as Einstein said. So that's always the problem. So you want to make things simple, but not simplistic. So I started to study vastly outside of the fitness industry to try to understand certain biological facts. And on my way there, I found out that a lot of insurers Honestly, we didn't know a lot of things. Like, for example, there was a lot of things like lactate we were talking about, where the fitness industry seems to be about 50, 60 years behind. And um, in a weird way, like I, I remember, um, I mean, there, there was a guy, Werner Jorgen, I'm freezing on the name as usual because I said his name as a good autistic person, but um, he, he was explaining the, you know, lactate, like the way the Russians been looking at it since the 70s. And every single thing he said on lactate was wrong. It's just demonstrably false. There's something called the lactate shallow theory that was published uh, by George Brooks in 1980, so 45 years ago. And yet, it did not seem to have made much ground in the fitness industry. So I was like, oh, that's weird. And so I started to study more and more into those fields, and it led me into some very interesting rabbit holes, as you know. So mm. that's what we can talk about is those we can talk about is those nice rabbit holes we can get into. Many. Absolutely. So the, um, so many. Um, just to give people uh, like an overview of the handful of things, like you could some of these rabbit holes, including the let's say the burn the questions, which is like your sled work. You just go and go and go. You like you just completely like pushing the sled until you just you break. Uh, the Q minus one training, which is like understanding that Q point and staying right below mm -hmm. that. The, um, there's the the eighty twenty. I know you mentioned that the dorsal ventral. That's like the that's uh, that actually we can start there. Um, and then the, uh, but there's lactate. Then there's like there are just like most people that are thinkers have like one area that you could maybe write a book on. You have like five different five six seven different things that you've uh, even the emotional mapping. Start to look at some of those things, but it, that, it's just phenomenal. Um, and I should mention up front that you aren't super forward in terms of like Instagram content, but you have a very rich yeah. information library uh, via Mighty Networks. I think it's the Mighty Networks. Yeah, it's called Mighty Networks. Network. Yeah, it's called uh, the Strong Fit Multiverse. Yes. So it's a lot of Dragon Ball Z stuff, but yeah. Yeah. For, 
for people who are interested, the, your coach, this is your coach's coach, is your coach is learning stuff from Julian that people probably got lost like two or three degrees down. Julian is thinking and putting this stuff out there, puts it on a podcast, then the person hears a podcast, talks about it, and then gets the credit for it. But your coach is talking. It's so just, yeah. just for if people that are interested, this is the person you want to go learn from. Um, let's, so this dorsal ventral idea. So I know there's like the, just broadly speaking, there's like the, um, uh, parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. So for people, there's like, there's what you're consciously, there's your somatic nervous system, which is what you're kind of consciously aware of. And then there's your autonomic, autonomic nervous system, which is like everything else. And that's a lot of us. Right. And within that, there's your so sympathetic. Uh, somatic yeah. And, yeah. There's a somatic and autonomic. What people yeah. refer to as the parasympathetic sympathetic is the autonomic nervous system. A lot of that stuff will come to consciousness, but that's not where it starts. Like, uh, that, that's why we have no control of panic attacks, right? It's just a lot mm -hmm. of things are, there they are different systems in the human body, right? They, they are actually hierarchies, the eight of them basically that we created, and about five of them are below consciousness levels, right? So the fifth is where you, you know, like that feeling, type mm -hmm. of thing where you go like, I don't know what this is, but I can feel it. This is when certain problems start to creep up toward the conscious mind. There's a lot of stuff that happened prior to that. You're just never going to be aware of it on a conscious level. That doesn't mean it's not happening, but that you don't know. You just don't know it on a conscious level. And eventually, as the problem gets, doesn't get fixed and keeps getting bigger, it starts to get toward the conscious mind. And that's why that gut feeling is the first step toward, all right, I need to fix this. Make consciously. Mm -hmm. Before that, your body tries to do as much as it can without you necessarily knowing consciously so that you can spend your energy toward the most important things. So there are many hierarchies in the system like that. The problem is your mind doesn't, what you conceive as your mind doesn't know most of them. So, and a lot okay. of that stuff, basically, so the parasympathetic sympathetic is one of the many parts of the nervous system that we have. We have the enteric nervous system, which is a gut, right? And everything that, that is in there. You have the autonomic, which is basically, that's why it's called autonomic, but it kind of happens on its own and somatic that is more conscious control. So autonomic is the parasympathetic sympathetic. So the sympathetic was incorrectly dubbed the fight or flight system. It's actually far more complex than that, but let's go a little bit in that idea of what the parasympathetic sympathetic is. So the, you, you have to understand that this is not something that was created yesterday, right? This is about 600 million years of evolution of the nervous system. So it is not a human thing, it is an animal thing. So the nervous system was built about 800 million years ago when one cell became two, right? Mm -hmm. We went from unicellular activity to multicellular activity. Took three billion years to get us there, by the way, because it was a vast, very, very complex system. And then birth of the nervous system. What we understand as us nervous system was about 600 million years ago, right? So there was an evolution to that. The first, uh, and you have to understand that um, nervous system works based on a defense mechanism. This is going to be very important for today. So, first defense mechanism playing dead, right? If predator arrives, you freeze, right? So that's what we call the freeze mode. It's playing dead. It's, depending on the situation, a very valid system of defense if you're not a predator, or even if you're just smaller than the other guy. So, that's actually on the parasympathetic side. That is what is called the, the playing dead. That is the dorsal vagus nerve, right? The one that basically from the body and tells the head play dead, right? As we evolve as creatures, then we went toward the sympathetic nervous system. So you, you go from, um, you know, basically insects, you go toward the reptiles, right? Reptiles or the snake. So imagine a snake, it has either, it gets away from a danger or it bites it. There's no in between. For example, 
there's a there's like a circle around the snake. If you cross that edge, he bites you. That's it. That's just the way it is, right? It's a pure fight model. If she sees you coming, it's going to take off. But if she if she crosses a certain boundary, it's going to attack. Even male, female, they have issues with that. So that's your typical mm -hmm. sympathetic, which means it's it's just there's no room for subtlety. It's either fuck off or I kill you. There you go. So the problem with that is you cannot build a society based on that. So now comes the mammals. The mammals found themselves um, as a need for survival to be in groups. So to be in a group, you have a problem because if you every time you come near me, I punch you in the face, it's gonna it's gonna be hard to build a friendship. It's gonna take a while, right? As a society, it's a bit more complicated, right? So you need to establish a type of language that lets you know that you should back off from me or that we can start talking. And so that's the evolution, for example, of facial expression. You know, when I smile, I'm like, I'm friendly versus like, fuck off, fuck off. I mean, type of thing, right? So the more you see relaxation, for example, or, uh, below the eye, those are muscles that we know are controlled from the ventral part of the vagus nerve. The ventral part of the vagus nerve is what evolution gave us to be able to communicate in a group, in a society, so that we can live in numbers. So, but this was not, this is not the only thing we had. This was just built on prior existing things as everything mm -hmm. in evolution is. It's always built on the prior thing. So we had the dorsal vagus nerve, which was more toward the freeze mode. Then we had the sympathetic, which was the fight and flight, if you look at the real time. And then built on top of that was the most evolved part of our nervous system, which is the ventral vagus nerve. The ventral vagus nerve, so top-down type of system. So it's our head telling the body what to do. That's about 20% of the vagus nerve. 80% of it is still dorsal. Mm -hmm. So we're mostly creatures of bottom-up system and not top-down. There are reasons for that, if you want to go into it, why a top-down system is actually not favored by nature. Is mm -hmm. um, So the simple reason is that the more top-down system you have, the more you're controlled by a vagus nerve, the more you would be susceptible to parasites taking control. So nature does not like a top-down control system because then a single parasite would control the entire entity. So that's why you, you won't see a top-down uh, system in nature. If you, this is Disney right now, right? Like you had a few wrong executives uh, affected by parasites, yeah, yeah, yeah. a certain ideology, and then it goes down and kills the host eventually. That's the problem with the, with the top-down system. The, Mike. Michael, uh, Michael Levine podcast with Lex Friedman. Yeah. I've been listening to. Yes. I mean, I, yes. I, I, but that's what he talks about is that, like, yes, exactly. All right, he's an amazing guy. His oh, work, yeah. work on that is mind blowing. So, um, essentially, there's a, um, like, there's like this physical intelligence that animals have that they don't necessarily put words to things, but they just, they're fast, they're explosive. They can, like a cat, for example, could fall and land on his feet, so to speak. That's like that, you could, they doesn't, yeah. No, 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 it goes way further than that. So the first uh, multicellular creatures were mushrooms, right, fungi. Mm -hmm. Right, and there's been an experiment like that where um, they put oatmeal, uh, the guy on Joe Rogan talks about that, and it's actually, you can actually Google it, where they put oatmeal that mimic the shape of the subway system in Tokyo. And then they let a, a, a fungi on it, a fungus, whatever, well, it's, anyway, like always get confused between the fungus on it. And the fungus started to establish lines of communication toward the food. And the system that they built was better than the Tokyo subway system that was created by our best computers. 
a Mac room had a better, more efficient system than what computers can do. So that's not intelligence in the way we understand, but just, wow, not that dumb either. So what is that? It's pain recognition, and that's what it is. And it seems that pattern recognition does not necessarily require a top-down control. Mm. So and that's a rabbit hole right there. Yeah. The, so the the top-down so there's trade-offs in a sense. Okay, yes. do you this is this is a side side quest from this, but let's just say the, the evolution of developing that top-down communication, like mm-hmm. live in a society, do you see that as a continued like is there a lit any fact that it's going to be about 80 20 that's about as much as a progressor do you see that evolutionary arc well, you have important? to understand what that means right that means that the top-down intelligence is only a social intelligence mm. that means that that's not pattern recognition that's none of that so it's a social intelligence so it's a very very specific form of intelligence that just allows us to live in numbers and that's the constraint the constraint of that intelligence is not to solve quantum mechanics it's none of that it's to allow us to live in numbers right the pattern side of that stuff, like how could you explain savants, right? There are people that are that have a very, very low social intelligence, mm. right? And I can say I'm one of them. So not good in groups, but yet very, very good at patterns. So it seems that it's not necessarily the same type of intelligence. So my point is we don't know exactly. We're gonna have to define what intelligence means. Mm. It might not be that simple. It might not be that simple. Right. So what are the, the, the trade-off? It probably means it's like if you go rational thinking versus emotional thinking, you're gonna if you're unbalanced in either way, then the whole system starts to get weakened. So that's the trade-off. Right? Is if you only start to look at it from a society perspective, you might end up in places that are not useful to the group. It's outliers versus the center, it's disagreeability versus agreeability. The problem is balance. There has to be a balance between these different types of intelligence and they all have to balance out each other. And that's a bit what Michael Lewin is talking about in that sense. Is like, we're going to have to understand what intelligence is. It's not, uh, it's how you process information. That's what really intelligence is. And they are, but what is the output? Is it toward being able to live in society? Is it toward figure out certain things? Is it just uh, being able to predict the next uh, predator coming at you, like it's it's not as simple. So when you start to go a little bit deeper in rabbit hole, it gets complicated really fast. Mm. So it, one of the the so I, I have two option questions. This one of the things that I think is valuable, just as a uh, a bigger picture of this, is it's important for people to really because people will say, okay, what's the point of this? There's a, there's a simplistic ease and comfort that people have with trying to say, I understand this thing. I get it. It's fight, flight. It's blah, blah, blah. I get it. You know, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is there's your enteric nervous system, which you discussed is like the trillions of bacteria that make up your gut, which sway a lot of your function. There's your uh, your yeah, unconscious yeah. nervous system that does a lot of you. And then there's like a yes. very small percentage that is the you. So if you are invested and interested in understanding your health, it would pay dividends to understand that there are a lot of big forces underneath the top of the ocean that are Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. So the prediction observation model, like, uh, and that's what we talked about when we were together in San Francisco, right? Which started with Schrodinger in 42, but really ended up with Carl Fisson in 207. Anyway, he taught us one thing, is that the system is predictive, not reactive, right? So why does that matter to you? Because we thought that the brain was just a big antenna that receives information and make decisions based on that. 
turns out that's not what happens at all. But the brain, the entire system does actually, is it creates a universe, uh, probably a thousand universe a millisecond, and try to match that universe created with the universe outside that it has an idea about from its own uh, data collection systems, right? So, and it tried to match that the universe that was created that is the closest to the universe he lives in, based on what his senses are telling him. So that means that we do not live in the world. We live in our best approximation of the world. Quite remote. So why does it matter? So for example, this is thing called the cephalic insulin phase response, right? And this is something simple. Your level of insulin will change based on the food you look at, smell, or taste. It has nothing to do with the composition of the food. The fact that you smell a certain food is enough for your body to, to predict the arrival of sugar and increase insulin based on that, based on simply vision, smell, and taste. It will change its own insulin level. Right. So, so you can say, well, why does it matter if it's getting prepared? Well, first of all, I mean, there's a system entirely that controls that preparation. So I'll tell you already that it's important. But for example, then what do sugar-free foods do then? Because let me give you a scenario. I have each sugar, 10 grams of sugar every time. It has a certain taste, right? It looks a certain way. My body is understanding that 10 grams of sugar in that form equals that much insulin in order to process it. I've done that over years. I know exactly what that quantity is. I bring a food that is 10 grams of sugar, although I think it's sugar-free, but it tastes like 10 grams of sugar. So now I produce the insulin for that amount of sugar, but the sugar is still not coming in. So first reaction of the body, bring more, because it's some sugar in it, but not enough. So now you need to, to do more. So that could explain, is that what you explain why people like diet talk so much? Because the body is expecting more sugar, but it never gets it. So it keeps asking for more. Is that what? Okay. So already that's a conversation we can have. Or second solution, the body goes, oh, okay, so that amount, uh, I need to reduce the amount of insulin based on that amount of sugar. Okay, but now the next time I eat a cake that has actually sugar in it. So now, because based on the last few times that I ate the sugar-free, I'm not going to produce enough insulin to deal with that cake. So you could see, and you could start messing up your body's reaction by playing with things like sugar-free foods. Well, at least it should be looked at. Mm. Yeah, that's always, I mean, I think there's uh, the simplistic, maybe not the simplistic, but the simple principle I've always thought about is that, like, law of thermodynamics is like there's an action-reaction. Yeah. You, you're telling me that this system that's evolved in a certain capacity with a certain input and output and expectation, you could just trick it and it yeah. just doesn't there's no consequences like that nowhere else in either exactly. that work there's no way there's no free lunch ever you remember what the so well was saying there's no solutions only trade-offs the sugar free thing is not a solution it's a trade-off trade-off to what so the problem is you might completely mess up your own response to insulin by the way this is the same thing with fat this is the same thing with bitter. you know we have taste like bitter salty sweet like you know the, the five s's so if you start tricking those, like, do you think really there are no consequences? Trust me, they are. So the point is not stop sugar-free, stop fat-free, or stuff like that necessarily, although with whatever they put in it, who knows? But the point is the system is predictive, not reactive. It changes the 
way we look at certain things. For example, if the body is reactive, then sugar-free doesn't matter because there's no sugar, therefore there's no insulin reaction. If the body is predictive, yes, there is an insulin reaction, even though you have a sugar-free food, except now your insulin levels are not matching the amount of glucose in your blood. That's a problem. Like, for example, when you stand up, you raise your blood pressure before you stand up, right before. If you were not doing that, you'd pass up. Right, so those are important aspects of the prediction versus observation, even like the fact that the system is predictive and not, mm. you know, it's not reactive, but rather predictive, matters for a number of things like this, where so many of your biological functions are based on the fact that the body is predictive. So it would be good to understand that because it does influence a lot of things. So do, do, we, do we have any scope on the... the, the range of that prediction so like i've had this just as a, a to put numbers on that there's a lot of these weird experiences where i'll just have days where i feel tired or just whatever it's it, you know something is off in a sense and it's not necessarily anything is different in my sleep or eating etc but it's almost as if like there's a fatigue and then it's almost within a few days where i have a higher demand in some sense as <laughs> that's cute as though there is my body is predicting that there is a a, a, a stressor that's coming up that needs to be dealt with. So like while I'm in that, and maybe you could just say that that's a reaction of cortisol, but it, it feels so, intuitively to me that there is some level of... So, the, the, okay, so that's the really the, the, the real question is that, is the prediction versus observation model. So I need to explain what that is because yes. people will think it's a conscious prediction like tomorrow is going to rain versus whether or not it, it happens. It's not that. The prediction observation model is uh, what Carl Friesen defined as a free energy principle in 207. There's actually a formula uh, for that. Um, the, the story, so let me track a bit so people understand. The whole story starts really in 1942 with Schrodinger, you know, the guy with the cat. Um, oh, I don't know. Was there, what did he, was there a cat? Wait, well, that's a question. Yeah. <laughs> was he alive or there? That's a question. There wasn't a cat. Which is don't know if it was alive or dead. Anyway, um, and um, so quantum mechanics is what really changed all this, and this is what it goes back to my, what that podcast with Michael Lewin is going actually going to integrate. So he comes up with that idea that everything quantum mechanics, everything is about information, and information has to be transferred. The problem is, like information at, at very very small uh, distances with quantum mechanics, things get complicated. So from there, by the way, he created the idea that was used to to come up with the DNA. Discovery. The two guys that discovered DNA in, uh, in 19, what is that, I guess 10, 15 years later, 60, um, they even said that they got that from that book, What is Light from Schrodinger, when he extrapolated the need for a structure like DNA in order to pass information. Mm -hmm. So you take that concept and you just push it forward and you end up in 207 with uh, Carl Friston. From there, you have Paul Davis with the book, like The Demon in the Machine, and you have Michael Lewin. Uh, work in that. So real quick, what does it matter? For example, Michael Lewin, and it's talked about in the book, The Demon in the Machine, had an experience with worlds, flat worlds, right? He cuts them in half, so there's a head and a tail. Cuts them in half, both worlds being from the same DNA, it's a flat world, become two of the same flat world, a head and a tail, but basically genetically identical. He starts to mess with, the, with electricity, the voltage differential technically of both, right? So, and then what he ends up is he ends up with a worm with two heads, right? And the other one, not. All right. So he keeps cutting. So he takes that worm, then 
stops messing with the voltage differential and cuts it in half. Since the DNA is from the first worm, what you should get is the same as the first worm, a head and a tail. And yet, you get two heads. And you get two heads for seven generations. And it goes back to a head and a tail. Right. Mm. All right. So there's a problem there. The worm adapted to the environment where it required two heads. Right. But that's not genetic. So that's epigenetic because the DNA hasn't changed. So it's, it, its reaction to its environment changed and changed its shape. Right. Not just biology, changes shape based on the environment. So that's epigenetics. But then he knew to keep doing it, even though the requirements were not there anymore. So that brings you to question. How did he know? And where is that information contained? It's not in the DNA because the DNA is the same. So where is that? Where was that information passed on to? Where is that space where the information was given? Remember, then he came back to a head and a tail. So at some point, he also knew to go back to the original model. Like, where is that information? Where is it from? And that question cannot be answered. That's what Michael Lehman was talking about. Is that information, we don't understand where it is, where it comes from, how it's created and everything. Right. So that's a little bit the work of Dr. Kristen. So we start, he's talking at the cell level, not cellular level, not at a human being, even though a human being is going to do the same thing. In the, in the vastly more complex system. But at the cell level, it seems that the way the cell reacts to its environment obeys the laws of probability mathematics, what is called a Bayesian inference model. Mm. It obeys the strict laws of probability mathematics, right? So he actually has a mathematical equation that explains how life interacts with its environment. So what makes life life? Because if you know what is life from Schrodinger, he was saying that he was introduced the, uh, the idea of negative entropy that life seems to fight entropy. At least he cannot stop entropy because that's second, second law of thermodynamics, but he seems to try to do that, to try to at least slow it down. So that brings the question of intent. How does he do that? How does he know? And what is that information exactly kept? So you end up in very, very disturbing questions because, first of all, you end up with a problem of intent. Where is, what is intent? How does life know? And where is that intent kept? Anyway, but now you go back to Plato and a number of uh, interesting ideas. But so the idea was the cell will predict the behavior of the, the environment. So it will be predictive. And then it will clash that against its observation of the world. Right? That's pure probability mathematics. We know the formula. It's the Markov blanket idea. All the nerds on the, uh, listening now will understand what I'm talking about. We don't need to go into that. But that's the idea. So you make a prediction, right? Remember, that can be just uh, a cell. And then you clash it against the observation of the world. There's a difference between the two. The difference between the two, that gap is a problem because it told you you made a mistake in your prediction. So you have to learn from that difference, right? So you're going to look, you're going to try to resolve the problem between your prediction and your observation. So let me give you an example. My arm is straight. I say my arm is straight while it's bent. Okay, so now I need to fix that. I have three ways of fixing it. I can realize that my arms was never straight, but it was bent. So that's an error on the prediction system, right? Or, very importantly, I can get my arms straight. So what I did is I changed the world in order to fit the prediction, right? And the, the third way is I can just ignore the whole thing, but that's, that's another problem. So 
You can imagine that changing the world in order to fit the prediction is going to be a very important way the cell has to act upon its environment. Right. So once I resolve that problem, right, that problem is called a prior. Now, it's basically how I solved the issue between the prediction and the observation. That prior is going to be integrated in my system so that I can use it for next time. Right? So that I learn every time better how my environment is affecting me and how I affect my environment. So it's a learning system that just keeps growing and growing and growing. That reminds you on how the, the new computer, like the new AIs work, you know, the new models and everything, is they get better. Like chat GPT one sucked, and then two was better, and then now we have four, and it's amazing. So imagine five, six. It keeps learning better every time. That's how the human system does it, right? Is every time you have a prior, you learn based on the prior, you learn based on the prior, right? So that's how the system wants to go forward. Whenever there's a gap between so the prediction and the observation for a human, it's called a somatic error. There's a panic within us every time there's a gap, right? And then the bigger the gap, the bigger the panic, because that means that you made a mistake in the way you were dealing with the world. That can be dangerous. If I don't understand that the bush over there is moving because a bear is coming at me, I die. So it's not enough for me to wait for the bear to be on top of me. I have to go like, what about 10 meters? Can I smell it? What about 20 meters? Can I see the bush? Is the bush moving at the low level or the high level? And I start to conceptualize what is it that I see to see that the danger for me of being eaten or not. So you can see how the entire process is. But if I make a mistake or the bear learn to approach me low versus high, and I'm like, oh shit, I got tricked by the bear. That will put you in a panic because you go like, he's smarter than me, I can die. So I'm going to have to reset something. I'm going to have to change my observation or my prediction. So you can see, and the whole system evolves around that, right? So that means that whenever there's a mistake, and there's always a mistake, the question is how big it is. It can be from either your senses did not perceive the world correctly, or your prediction of it was incorrect. So hmm. you're asking me why, for example, you're going to feel like shit about something even though you shouldn't. Most of the time, it's because your body ended up in freeze. So when the mistake, that somatic error, is big enough, it starts to dysregulate the system and the autonomic nervous system, the parasympathetic sympathetic, starts to respond to that. And it responds first in the fight mode, so you start to spend energy, but that energy has to stop being spent for obvious reasons. So then you go into freeze to stop the expenditure. So sometimes you're going to have low energy, but it's not because you don't have energy. It's because your, bo your body is stopping you from burning it at an accelerated rate. So you were probably anxious or freaking out about something you didn't need to, and it's just your time going, stop. So it puts you in freeze. And so now you have no energy, but it's not that you have no energy. It's that your system is stopping you from expenditure of energy because mm. it thinks you're wasting it. It's not sustainable to just expend energy past a certain level all the time. Mm. So your body has its own systems to stop that. And the freeze mode is one of them. So the freeze mode is dorsal vagus nerve. It's a very old part of our nervous system and it feels like shit. So that's why sometimes you're like, ah, I feel like shit. It's your system stopping you from doing something it's not sure about. So you could see how some anxious people keep talking themselves out of stuff. Well, what is this? What, what is that? And then I'm not sure. What they're doing is they're constantly messing with the prediction model to a point where they cannot move anymore. Because the body is like, well, I don't know. And if I don't know, I'm not moving because that's dangerous. So they can actually create a system where they put themselves in freeze uh, about any, any incertitude. The problem is, 
if you play that game, eventually you'll be unsure of everything and then you won't be able to do anything. Mm -hmm. And that's agoraphobia. So you know what agoraphobia starts? People like can't leave the house. Yeah. It's, it's been studied. It's someone who has a bad experience with a salesperson in a clothing store. There was a lady. And then it got so bad. She got so She built the thing so much in her own head that before you know it, she cannot go in front of the store. She has to go around the store every time. And then before you know it, she cannot go in that part of the mall anymore. And before you know it, she cannot go into the mall. Then she cannot leave the car in the parking lot. Then she could not get to the parking lot. And she ended up not being able to leave her house because she worked her way back continuously from that trauma and never facing it. It just worked one deeper, one deeper, one deeper, one deeper until she could not leave the house because it wasn't safe. So I, I think... Um... The one thing I would love to hear you talk more on is a sense of self, because there's just to, like for people listening to paint it broadly, from my understanding, there's like the, the four main directions, so to speak. This is very oversimplified, but there's the fight flight, which are sympathetic, and then the flow and freeze to parasympathetic. And so in a sense, you could say the positive adaptation of a sympathetic is the fight. And now we have a coordinated yes. correlation of fighting as being bad. Even yeah. the fight is just I have a yeah. goal. I'm moving and putting energy yes. towards that. And the same thing on the parasympathetic, a flow is this relaxed. I'm here, I'm, I'm, it's contract, relax. It's like I, I do a rep and I relax. It's like if you didn't have both, you would never be able to put the bench press down. <laughs> um, and then the opposite side is the runaway, unhealthy, let's call it unhealthy, but adaptive response of the sympathetic is the flight, which is I'm chasing this person, but now I'm, I'm, in a, I'm rolling jujitsu, and then this guy's a lot stronger than I thought he is. I got to get out of here. There's a freak out, which is expending energy to get away, and then the unhealthy parasympathetic is freeze which is you just we we can't get away we're just gonna lay play dead um so be like those be careful with that it, depending on the situation it can be very healthy so, so let me give you an example because so people don't misunderstand you're in a boxing match and you're winning right and the guy that lays the trap which means he stays open a good guy will freeze for a second going like oh you might you're trying to trap me into punching and then you can counter on me so he goes whoop and then he freezes for half a second because he saw the trap. That's your freeze mode. Interesting. So is that, how would you distinguish that as different from flow? Meaning flow is there's movement and freeze, meaning like there's no movement in a sense? So flow is basically when, um, like let's say you have full confidence, you know, you're dancing, you're enjoying yourself, everything is flowing. But it's, it's a game, it's never a zero or a one. It's always a game of percentages, right? The question is, which way do you tilt? Do you go more without, like you're more like this, or do you go more toward having the full confidence of the moment and you're just kind of flowing within, within that. It does not require you to be 100% on one or 100% on the other. There's always a play between the two, right? But it's which one is deciding the dance, really. Which okay. one is deciding the dance? So what was really helpful for me was understanding that like all movement, all engagement is really a this dance between these different systems. Exactly. And it's a dance. It's a massive dance. So. And now there's two, there's two, one is about sex and one is about the sense of self. I know they're both related to questions, but the thing I think that makes this broad, because people want to say, oh, this certain thing causes fight. It's like, it's not a universal for everybody. It's very much attached to the sense of self, like your own perception of danger and fear. So, but you, you talk about that being connected to the heart in a sense, which makes a lot of sense when you think about like such a heart rate. How would you like help people understand this sense of self, meaning your personal experience of this? Right. So the sense of well, I'll go with the biology of it. Honestly, what we know, then we can go into uh, 
what, the, what do you mean? But so example, if you look at the biology of the sense of self. So first of all, I and me are not the same thing. Yeah, that's I, I please. go to the market and me feel bad are not the same thing at all. Turns out they're not even placed in the same networks in the brain. They're not placed in the same place at all. When you talk about I, right, and it's being tested, you see the right anterior insula lighting up, right? When you talk about me, you see the left VMC lighting up. So it's completely different parts of the brain, right? Are linked between the I and the me. They are not the same. I go there is an active form of the sense of self. Me feels like that is more, I mean, passive is a bad word, but you get the idea, right? Those, so we have to differentiate completely the I and the me. The, I know, linguistically speaking, we do not, but it's a mistake. Because from a biological perspective, they're not the same. One is toward your active self, the other one is toward how you feel. It's, it's just completely different things, right? So that already uh, links things completely. So when you look at the, um, the me, the sense of me, right? It's uh, you, when you, whenever you see the, le the less left ventral the, the, the VMC, I forget the, the thing as usual, um, lights up, that actually is the exact same place of the brain that links the heart to. So it was very interesting to see that the communication from the heart to the brain was exactly this, using the, exa the exact same highway as the sense of me in that case. And so this law, the differentiation of how the, the sense of me was being affected based on the way the heart acted. You have to understand that the heart is its own nervous system and it's kind of a brain in itself. It has a set of neurons. It produces things like um, um, oxytocin. Mm -hmm. It produces very specific things, not in large quantities, but it's still, it, and it's at its own electromagnetic field that is much superior to the brain, for example. So the, the heart is its own thing and a very important thing as well. And so there's a direct connection that does not go through your, the, necessarily the, the other part of the brain that links directly your heart to this part of the brain where the sense of me is contained. So that was a very interesting, I thought, physiological phenomenon that the sense of me was connecting directly to the heart. That was not true of the sense of I. It was only true of the sense of me. So there are things like that you start to look at going like, oh, well, that's, that's interesting. So what's the difference between the two? And you start to go deeper just in those connections and you start to see that the sense of I is more on the right interior insula and certain networks that are vastly different from the sense of me. So right away, even from a physiological perspective, the complication, the, the conversation just got more complicated because they are not equivalent. So you're going to take that, right? And then I'm going to tell you about an experience that I did. So I measured the levels of lactate in about it's 40, 50 of my coaches and um, a bunch of uh, my clients. And I saw some very, very uh, interesting things. So first of all, lactate is not a waste product. You measure it through a trick of the finger. It's, uh, the, it's the result of glycolysis. So any form of energy production, the best one that we have is glycolysis, it ends up in lactate. So I was measuring lactate as a way to see how was your energy expenditure system going. So I measure, I ask them to measure first thing in the morning, then after training and, and before night time. And I have a client and I have the, the Google file if you ever want to see it. On average, she wakes up at three to four millimole in the morning, fairly high, but a lot of stressed out people do, right? 
And then you, you see that. And then suddenly, one morning, she's at 18. First thing in the morning, 18 mil more. 18, just to give you an idea, 18 mil more is the hardest CrossFit workout you've ever done. Mm. Right. The sled work is probably 15. Like, and then the next morning, she's at 20. And the morning after that, she's at 24. 24 mil more, normally, it's called hyperlactactivia. You're in the hospital because it was something is wrong. Yeah. Nothing was wrong. She was just an excessively high number on the lactate scale. By the way, this has been replicated. And so she, I have the, the shit that she does for like about eight to 10 weeks. And then we see three times where it happens. By the way, after she was at 24, she crashed, as you can imagine. Then she was at 0 0.5 for three days in a row and she couldn't leave the house. Then mm. you go, huh? So that was a major freeze mode, right? And then suddenly the lactate level is super low. All right. So we start to look deeper into that, and you realize that before the 18, she had a fight with her boss, uh, who's an asshole, that she did not fight him on. She did not respond. And every single time she had a fight where she did not respond, her lactate spiked up over 20. Then there was a crash for three days, and then she would go back to normal. If she had a fight, she responded. She did not have the same reaction. So I was like, oh, mm -hmm. that's fascinating. So, we started to level our levels of lactate, and she ended up not having those crises ever again. Anyway, it keeps on going. So I started testing other people. One lady in particular, we test, and we see usually after a workout, she's at 10, 11 on the lactate scale. I mean, more like it's just, okay, so you push hard, but all right. And then the three workouts, when she's at 20, and I'm like, ooh, what happened? Two of them were in competition. I was like, oh, it's probably people watching social anxiety. No, turn out the third workout, there was no one, she was alone in the gym. I was like, hmm. I start to look deeper and all three workouts, there was overhead with heavy weight type of a jerk. Yeah. And we keep pushing the conversation and she tells me, well, I used to have a neck problem. What I mean, every single time I hurt my neck, I can't train. And that lady has, has very um, difficult times psychologically with specific things I don't want to get into. But if she doesn't train, things go bad. So, mm -hmm. an overhead workout with a barbell was such a threat that had possible implications in her everyday life that the idea of the workout was driving her lactate up to ridiculous levels. The point was that the threat was not a physical threat. It was a threat to the sense of self. Because if she were to hurt herself, she would be in a mental place she didn't want to get into. Just like my client who had a fight with the boss when she was in a specific mental state the lactate was shooting up like crazy. Mm -hmm. And so what I saw is that the lactate levels were not going up based necessarily on physical threat, but more on the mental threat. So it seems that the threat to the sense of self is what gets your lactate at the highest, your energy expenditure at the highest. Mm -hmm. for, so that told me that the sense of self is actually a very evolved threat system analysis. That's what the me is, mm -hmm. or emotional self, is actually a threat detection mechanism. I think this, if we look at it from a physio physiological perspective, at least that was my opinion. It's not a fact, but it is my opinion that the sense of me, that's why it's different from the sense of I, is a threat detection mechanism, just a very, very, very evolved one. Is it fair to say that that me, that the, the existence of me is almost like a communication metric between like the lower subconscious levels of, of intelligence. I think it's the ultimate threat system. Mm -hmm. 
because it's it's very much social based. Always, it's like, all right, fellas, if we do that in the future, we're going to end up there. So it's just, I think it's a far more evolved threat system than the other ones that are far more short term. So, so it's a long term threat analysis system. And it, and just, but well, so the interesting thing is, just like you being French, uh, not being able to choose your parents, is there, like, are we able to choose our, our, like the things that we feel threatened by in a sense, or is that almost like, do you feel that's like there's some level of a... That's a very good question, isn't it? Yeah. So can you work that out? Well, I tell you what I did with my clients, for example, is my first client. Like, so uh, responding correctly to altercations is the thing. So what I did is I created a human response for her, actually. So what I did is I put her on a treadmill and, and I told her, you go to go until you feel threatened. You know when the voice tells you to quit? Yeah, right? yeah. And you're going to stay there. You know when it's like, like uh, oh my God, like I don't want to do this or whatever, right? And after 10 minutes, you would freak out, get, get the same like stuff and go home. And I was like, all right, so I want you to go there. And it feels like it was four minutes, not 10 minutes. Yeah. But I want you, what I want you to do is I want you to go exactly at that spot. But whenever you're freaking out, I want you to give me 30 more seconds in an active way. I don't want you to endure the 30 seconds, but I want you to actively do the thing. Fine. I'm fine. I'm in control. I'm fine. Just 30 seconds. But you're going to be in control of that bitch, right? Literally, that's the point. And then she would step out. And then four minutes became 10 minutes, became 12 minutes, became 20 minutes to a point where she could, she would not freak out anymore going like this sucks. But I was as far as she would go. And then I took that and I said, okay, but now you're going to do it next to someone because she hates being next to someone on the, on the treadmill. And then she did that. And at first it was back to four minutes. And then she worked her way back to 10 minutes, back to 20 minutes. And once she does that, she was able to handle the complexity of an altercation with her boss or people like that. And she did not have a freak out ever since. So I don't know that I, I, I don't think we change the threat. But we definitely change how active she was about it, and that seems to be the key. It's like, I don't know if you can change the nature of the threat to yourself, honestly. Maybe it's based on childhood, maybe it's just the way you are. That I don't know. But I can tell you the way you act toward it is the secret, and that we can definitely do. What I've seen, because I've done this a long time now, I've helped people about, you know, off the pill, things like this, is how active you are toward your own things. That's the difference. Is your success with those things depends on the things you're not willing to do, always. Okay. okay. So, just if I can, if I can paint out a timeline, because like as I just I've listened to hours and hours of you discussing these things, and so like for people it feels like an overall load. But you start off with this idea of like the the brain is a prediction mechanism so the human consciousness or whatever you want to describe that is a prediction mechanism which leads you to start to say that the errors that create stress are from a nervous system understanding in some capacity so you start to understand all the nervous system then that leads you to start tracking and correlating that to lactate and saying oh there's a physiological response to these nervous system activations even if they're subconscious well, which then leads you to start to play around with the idea well, I, need of, like, a marker. I need to test to yeah. see if i was correct or not so i needed a marker and so I went into like that because I seemed to be like a, and then I was a rabbit hole because I discovered that most people have no clue what it is, what it does, even on an academic yeah. level. I was like, I, well, like in the running world, you know that better than me. When they talk about, you know, lactic acidosis, there is no such thing. Anaerobic threshold, there is no such thing. Like it's, it's confusing at first. 
which leads you to then start to say there's something there's something going on that causes these triggers, but it's not just as simple like mm-hmm. oh the body's messed up. You know, there's a sense of yeah. self which creates the you know the brain, the heart, the different the I me, which then leads you to the Q minus one training, which is essentially getting to that point of quit and then just backing right off and learning to deal with that. Learning but, to be active about it, yeah, actually not quitting. Which finally brings you to the idea of the entire point of consciousness is or like our human consciousness is to be able to like maybe free will. Right, maybe I should quite. say it's free will is to be able to do it. No, just emotional thinking. Yeah. The point of emotional thinking is to assess long term threats. And then changing our physiology in regard to mm-hmm. that. Which then leads you to your prediction observation thing of like how you can change the physiology in relation to like specific things like autism. I can tell you exactly. So there's something called affective immunology. That is actually, I think even Michael Lewin talked about it. I'm not sure. But this is something that's been uh, into the field of psychiatry for a few years now. And something I delved into that, I, that is extremely interesting is that idea of that um, the immune system is actually the um, ancestor of the emotional system. Right. So what is the immune system? If you look from a cell perspective, how does a cell deal with the outside world? By absorbing some of it processing it, fighting it. Basically, that's what the immune system was created as, is a way to sample and react to the outside world, to what is not you. That's what I mean by outside world, I just mean what is not you. Whatever for a cell is not you, is absorbed and dealt with. That's the goal of the immune system. Is that not what exactly emotions are? Right, so the idea of affective immunology is that actually the immune system evolved into the emotional system that we have now. So, you want to ask what is this one? Then where is anxiety? What does anxiety mean? Right, so you can start. Yeah, so inflammation. Yeah. Right, so tell me what is anxiety is. Do you think you're only anxious about the future? Yeah. So it's it's a way to deal with what is coming in the future. Is that what inflammation is? Yeah. Which then goes to the predictive model of saying, like, inflammation in. Wow. Right, exactly. So you start to get into such interesting. So someone asked, what is anxiety? Anxiety is a somatic error that I was talking about. Yeah. The, the same somatic error, that's what anxiety is. It's simply the gap between the prediction and observation. And so the bigger the gap, the more the prior was a problem, the bigger the anxiety. But you know, so. That's to say that anxiety and inflammation are linked. Well, by the way, so what is a panic attack? So could panic attacks be an autoimmune system problem then? Imagine that. Imagine if panic attacks were an autoimmune disease, basically. Not all panic attacks, obviously, but what if some subset of panic attacks are actually inflammation-driven, an autoimmune problem? That makes sure well, after looking at that, makes sense. Right. That's what I've been doing. Because you go like, wait, 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 wait. Because if we just use psychotherapy to our panic attack, we're screwed. So what if really the problem is not biology, but physiology, basically. What if everything is a metabolism problem? There's been a lot written in psychiatry lately about that. What if it's a metabolism issue? You could see why the current state of exercise and nutrition in the U.S. would lead to massive systemic Issues. Yeah. You won't fix by talking to your friends, by just going 
be like, oh, let's just get together and have a group hug. So that's the problem with that bullshit work stuff about like, you know, body positivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what if, what if metabolism has a far deeper effect even on your mental health and your understanding? We all know that to a degree, but what if it actually goes really deep to the core of the system? Well, what I've been, so there's two thoughts in it. One is the, um, whenever I hear like something is just a broad advertisement, so like uh, Better Help is now the thing on every single podcast, Better Help, like they're missing them. I don't know what it is, I don't know why, but something is wrong when it becomes like advertised broadly everywhere. But what you're getting is like, if these issues that we experience physiologically, like what we call, sorry, psychologically, that we call problems are really just downstream symptoms of physiological issues. Metabolism issues. We can't change a metabolic physical issue by thinking and just talking about it. It only prolongs things. And it might actually make things worse. Right. Prediction versus observation. So you have two types of depression. You have a somatic depression and what is called a cognitive depression. Somatic depression means it's your body going in freeze because it's broken, usually metabolically speaking. We have studies done about thousands upon thousands of people that were showing that visceral fat was the best predictor of depression because visceral fat produces cytokines, the inflammatory kind of cytokines. So that means that visceral fat creates inflammation in your body. We know that for a fact. Not subcutaneous fat, visceral fat. So literally, the waist-to-hip ratio was the best predictor of depression because inflammation eventually leads to a somatic depression. So we saw that every time. So but you have the cognitive depression. So somatic depression is your body's going to shit. Somatic cognitive would be like, you know, your mom died. And then suddenly, like mentally, you just give up. Now, let's go with the somatic depression. My mind says I'm great, but my body says I'm shit. So you have a prediction uh, uh, observation problem, right? I'm oversimplifying, but you get the idea. Yeah. That's going to give you anxiety no matter what. How long can your mind keep going while your body is going down? How long can you lie to yourself about I'm great while your body feels like shit? Because remember, your body is going downhill, not uphill in that case. So that means that your mind has to keep pressing the accelerator down. You don't maintain. Remember, your body is going down. Second law of thermodynamics. If you want to keep the the thing constant uphill, you have to accelerate, Mm -hmm. right? Or even as long as there's friction. So as the friction increases, you need to accelerate more to stay at the same speed. So that means that the worse your body gets, the more your mind has to be, I'm awesome, I'm great, I'm da 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 which explains a lot of the work bullshit, by the way. Anyway, so you're going to end up in, how long can you keep that up? How long can you keep that up before your body wins? And because I got news for you, your, your metabolism will win. I don't care how strong you are, you'll break eventually, just matter when. So I'm not saying all depression is somatic, it's just your metabolism. but the, it's part of the equation, for sure. And the problem might be that we can't make a differentiation between somatic depression and cognitive depression. Psychiatrists know this. It's just most people don't understand that anxiety versus depression debate from a metabolism perspective because it gets into complex ideas. But the problem is a lot of them is the words we use. We see depression, we see anxiety, we say better health. And I'm like, which one? What kind? Like you, you saw like uh, three years ago, they had that paper, that meta-study of necessarized showing like no serotonin and depression are not linked. 
Never one. I've been bitching about it for six years before that paper and being pitching out going like, how dare you say depression and serotonin are not the same thing, basically, because people make careers out of that. And you'll notice they don't say it anymore because very quietly they went like, yeah. what? It seems like you were Yes, you were wrong. You know why? Because nothing is ever that simple. Just the brain is not reactive. The brain is not just something where just put serotonin and everything is great. Bullshit. Just first principles alone should tell you that this is bullshit. And guess what? It works. Yeah. And so that, that's why the better health, it's the same shit, man. It's just trying to get, it's all their fancy words now. They all talk with, like, and I've seen guys talk about very fancy for 15 minutes. And I'm like, so what did you exactly say? Because I can resume this in two sentences. Now with 15 minutes later, and you sound really good, but I'm still not sure what you're saying outside of pain is not as bad as you think it is. And I'm like, well, check them what is the yeah. good conversation, by the way. What is pain? Is it intensity? Is it, well, exactly, right? My point. That's a conversation. But they're like, pain is not necessarily what you think. And where are we going? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So with a better health, this, for me, it's the same thing. It's like, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What? Who? Over, over what? Is that I'm taking you off the pills? Is that enough? So, after the client, I don't want to say her name, but um, she came to me because she was on pills, like anxiety pills, depression, the whole thing. Like she's a high level executive and she wants to get up. And she's also overweight, right? She weighs over 200 pounds. She needs to lose some weight. Like that lifestyle just was destroying her. Okay. I posted. A, um, an Instagram of her Dex, Dex, Dex scan, right? Over five months, she lost zero pounds of muscle, but if you're not mistaken, 40 pounds of fat. She went from 215 to 172. Well, let's say six months, something like that. Zero muscle loss, right? So that means she probably gained muscle, but lost it, but she basically stayed at the same muscle levels, but lost 40 pounds of fat. So that's the holy grail of the fitness industry. And people are like, oh, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. How did you do that? You know what you don't see? The two years prior to that, where we had to get off, off of pills, then off of eating correctly, really training, and getting off the booze. That's hard. Mm-hmm. That took us two years. Then when she got to the right place, mentally, physically, spiritually, yeah, she started training hard. You know what I know? She was not training hard prior to that because she wasn't telling me, I hate you, you motherfucker. <laughs> Like, I'm so sore, I hate the sled, I hate your workout, and I hate you. <laughs> if people don't tell me that, then I know you're not training, you're not doing what I'm asking you to do. Trust yeah. me. Right? And if I don't get, like, this is boring to eat like this, get what you're doing. You're not doing anything. Yeah. Because workout, working out hard sucks, and the food is not that exciting. Yeah. Because yeah. you mostly eat the same thing. And training hard all the time sucks. You're tired, you're broken at the time, you're always sore. It sucks. Welcome to performance. Anyway, so I knew she was bullshitting about the workout. But when she started to actually train really hard and do everything, guess what? Magic happened. But people will not see the two years to make the magic happen. She was so strong mentally to go through that phase and go like, I'm not quitting, I'm not quitting, I'm not quitting, even though the scale wasn't moving. But she was getting better into getting off the pills and readjusting the entire metabolism so that we could do the work. Who wants to hear that story? No one. You know what they want to hear? The last six months when she lost 10, eight pounds a month. I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. Like, yeah, but there's two years of work before we can do that. Like, you want to do that one? And you're not going to sell that 
on the internet. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's no selling that one. So I fix people, but tell me, can we fix my back pain? There's six weeks. I'm like, no, six months. Yeah. Yeah. We right away that that puts them at a spot where they realize that their their prediction is wrong. Like they have oh, to do yeah. it. If they're willing to get over and deal with, I made an incorrect prediction, then they've already like bought into the first session with you, basically. Right. And if you see the prediction is always what? Very short, very simple. It's not going to suck that bad. I'm sure I can do it. It's a lot of want versus need. And that's when you see the prediction winning. It's always want versus need. The body tells you what you need. The mind tells you what you want. At least emotional thinking. And so this is always when I'm like, when they tell me what they want, it's when I'm like, Oh, we got work to do. Yeah. Because I'm going to have to break that. It's yeah. like, honey, I don't care what you want. I'm going to fix you, but uh, you're not going to yeah. like it. And it's okay. You're not supposed yeah. to like it. This is going to suck. <laughs> this is going to suck. Because I'm going to make you do shit you don't want to do. You're going to fix your, your back. You're not going to deadlift heavy. I'm going to change your form. And it's not going to be the one you're used to. So you're going to go, what the hell is that anyway? And how come I'm at 60%? Because you're wrong in the first place. Otherwise, you wouldn't come to see me, so we're going to have to fix that. Yeah. My wife, Janina, is a sprinter, right? So I go into it going like, oh, I want to learn to sprint. Yeah, like, you know, I'll be able to run under 12 seconds in X amount of time. Right, sure. Huh? Um, talk about one versus need. Um, I go into it, and we start training, and within one week, I can't put my feet on the floor because they are so sore. And, and two months in, my low abs, below my low abs, you know, like right, like a curly floor, is so sore. I think I hurt myself. And one day I'm going down the stairs, holding like this, because I can barely put my feet because they're so sore in the morning, but also my low abs are so sore. And I'm like, man, I think I hurt myself. And she's like, oh, stop being a bitch. You're just sore. That's all. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I got my answer now. And, but we had to rethink what I knew about training. Because I was like, I, never, I didn't even know those muscles can be sore. Like, and, I mean, jujitsu guy. And suddenly my feet were engaging in the way I was like, really? Is, you, can be, you can feel that? And the way I ran was so different. I was like, I didn't even know you could move like that. You know, like you're moving forward with a knee. And, okay, I, I understood. I thought I understood intellectually what I meant. No, I didn't. Not until I did it. And then I was like, and one day I was like, oh, that's how you run. Oh, you bring on his forward, not bad. Your feet go up, not bad. So you don't arch. Well, my back is, oh, I don't feel my back anymore. Well, that's interesting. And that, by the way, is five months in. Ooh. And then I don't know, seven months of actually training correctly. And then I'm like, yeah, okay, so now I need to start working if I want to get a decent time on the 100 meter sprint. And I was like, oh, okay, right, that's, and welcome back to life. That's how it always works. It's, anyway, well, that's so amazing. But Things will be learned a certain way. And the, so the prior system is what matters to us, right? Is to dealing with priors. That's where anxiety versus depression, the, the whole debate, uh, talk will be about is those priors. So um, a question on sex, a question, and then I want to hear just like, I want to hear an update on the the, uh, the gyms and autism, if you, if you want to like yeah. discuss that. And then, um, that, then I'll, I'll let you go because obviously like, I'm good. I just got like a page of just notes. Dude, I love, you know me, I love talking. I'll talk forever. I know your people will start to go like, I can't take a French accent anymore. And the, I love talking. It doesn't, uh, 
It's um, and I, again, I will save this trip the audio and make this into a podcast. Um, I should also mention you have a podcast as well, so these are where you want to keep yeah, up to date with I'm your working career. Working the autism stuff so much right now, yeah, that it's uh, taking all my time. But yeah. so this is the uh, it may or may not be a personally related question, but um, when it comes to sex, what I noticed is that like the traditional map of like parasympathetic sympathetic parasympathetic is like you have to be relaxed enough to have an erection. And then there's sympathetic, which is interesting that the, uh, at least for men, the um, orgasm and ejaculation are two, they're both sympathetic, but they're two different, um, like, neural circuits, in a sense. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to, this is what I realized, is I, the common literature is, like, if you prematurely ejaculate, or let's just say you don't have as much control of your body as you want, and... Which also probably could tie into the like the prediction observation scale as well in terms of where you exist in your most of your time. But the it, I really like the, the common thing is like oh there's a friction thing you got to get good these techniques you got to watch these things you got to get used to it. But the reality is like there's an energy exchange that has to do with like that. And so for me growing up very southern nether baptist more fundamental very purity culture very very like a lot of this is bad this is wrong. And so there's a lot of like, as I realize now, a lot of sense of self attached to, obviously, there's an evolutionary sense of, like, mm -hmm. this is, if you don't get this right, you're not going to have kids, but there's, like, a deeper, like, if you do this wrong, you're going to perish in hell, kind of thing, like, that, so, <laughs> you have yeah, <laughs> well, I did, and so, there's a lot of unpacking that, and I realize it's not so simple, like, there's, it's almost like, holding away the sense of self, and, like, learning to just, maybe it is a repetition aspect, but, like, I'm, do you have any thoughts in that in that thing? Because it, it seems fascinating go, about that. If you go on your Freudian aspect, you know when he said like all behavior is sexual behavior. Okay. What he meant by what, what you have to understand what he means by that. Um, it's you know we said that the emotion basically an evolution of uh, the immune system. Right. So the point was that he was making is that behavior, social behavior, is an evolution of sexual behavior because everything that is built is built on something. Mm -hmm. Nothing is created. Everything was built upon. So where do you start uh, that behavior modification, right? Well, you start with sexual behavior because that's how you establish boundaries, what is me, what is not me. Are you useful? Are you not? Things like that. You see that a lot with chimpanzees, even between males, domination is still uh, based on certain things. So if we start to go with everything is sexual behavior and we go about excitation, it's not as simple as parasympathetic, sympathetic, because they work together. Because you have to be enough in a parasympathetic to have the blood flow to get the erection. Same thing for women. But you also have the sympathetic that basically allow pleasure to go up. You will notice that, for example, ego, ejaculation and orgasm not being the same for men. All right. So is that a fight-flight thing? Because if you look pleasure and aggression in most sexual models go hand in hand. Right. So, wait, wait. There's For a guy and I'm standing. Pleasure and aggression in the models could, okay. Right. Well, they, I love that because there's a guy named Stanley Cooper uh, that is making the rounds on podcast. And he was a male poster, right? And an escort. And okay. he gives uh, very interesting ideas on sexual behavior on men versus women because he saw it from someone who had so many partners and everything. And he saw that most of the women he was with, at the same response to the same types of thing, which is hair pulling, you know, biting, like it was, it was a lot of very specific aggression uh, type that reacted to, uh, to excitation. Look at men the other way around. Remove aggression, 
you're stressed. You feel like you lost at work. Um, you start to lower your sense of confidence. How's your erection go? Not very much. Sure. Right. So there's the level of the level of aggression displayed, but not bad aggression either, because you can't go and start punching. Like it's just same thing on the first day, right? You go to the girl of your dreams. You're nervous as hell. You start sweating from your forehead. Mm. You're, you know what I mean? Like you, you're tingling everywhere. You feel like almost, you know, like that acidic feeling that you get. Your heart rate goes up. Those are all signs of the sympathetic nervous system. Those, those are the same signs you would have if you go into a fight. Okay. Right? Your anxiety is through the roof. But yet you're excited. So that tells you that the parasympathetic and the sympathetic can actually work together. Yeah. So it seems that you have sometimes the parasympathetic works by itself. Most of the time, that means freeze. The sympathetic can work by itself. Most of the time, it means flight. Yeah. When, they when they work together, you can have the flow fight idea. A boxer that is in the zone is in flow, but he's still fighting. He yeah. can still run when he has to. He can still freeze when he has to, but he's mostly on the top side where they work together. So there seems to be really a question of is the parasympathetic sympathetic working together? So is my sexual pleasure aligned with a fight mode? That seems to be the best combination for sex. Whenever you start to go into freeze, you can't get an erection. Flight, maybe that's ejaculation almost without an orgasm. I mean, where you cannot control it anymore. And you're just getting in the situation. Is that where this is? Okay. So, so basically learning to, like, so, uh, and if we tie this into the idea of, like, you're going to changing physiology in some sense, it's almost like, let's just say you go out and you're doing interval workout. There's... You put yourself into uh, you go roll jujitsu, and it's like exactly. my 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 physiological response a year ago when I started was like, you know, I'm gonna get my shoulder hurt, I'm gonna get and then now it's like, you know, okay, it's and eventually you're gonna be more and more active about it. Going, you did that, I'm gonna do that mm -hmm. because I'm not gonna let you beat me anymore. At first you just get beat up because you don't yeah. know what to do, yeah. and you're like this. So you panic. Then you go, well, this sucks. I'm gonna endure it. And then eventually, you're like, no, you're trying, but I'm not going to let you do that. And then eventually, you go, oh, you made a mistake. I'm going to kill so, you. So if you look at this like your, your um, I think it was your coach or your client who had the fight with her boss three days ago. Yeah. It almost seems like, would you say, how much of it is like a top-down, like a conscious, like, oh, these are my hearts going out, my this, this, this is happening, but I don't need to act like that? It's a conscious top-down, like, recognition versus a bottom-up? For me, uh, it's, you cannot have one without the other, which means you're going to have to be active mentally and physically. For example, people are going to think, oh, I just have to tell myself that I need to. It doesn't work like that. That's a cumulus one idea, is that if your mind is at eight, but your body is at two, they cannot talk to each other. The system is the prediction observation problem, the, the, the semantic errors being created. What you need is you need to have the mind and the body at the same level of stress so that they get to talk to each other. It's an oversimplification, but you get the idea, right? So that means that if you want to work out problem, your body has to feel as bad as your mind when you're stressed out. So that means that if you want to really, you're stressed out about a situation, go think about it on an air diet. Yeah. Whenever your mind is that, put your body at the same, and you're going to see, you're going to be able to work that out a lot better. So that in sex, if you start to go like, oh, I don't feel like excited or whatever, that means you're being too passive. You're going to have to actively get into the proper state. And it's a physical thing, not just, a, oh, I want that. No, 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 no. Physically, you're going to have to go into expenditure of energy. 
because you're in flight, basically. You're gonna have to put yourself in flight and then in flow. That, that makes sense because a lot of the stuff. I mean, if you, you listen to the people that run and make the rounds on Instagram, it's like women are slow, they need a very relaxed kind of thing. It's like there's a certain like emotional state you get into in some capacity. But if my brain's running and going here, then it's like almost getting my body at that level. Right, hold it on it, say it. Sorry, guys. It's, I think so. It's a. <laughs> She's just not into you that much. So, that's that's uh you know. Yes. Well, I'm saying okay, okay. If we're gonna talk about stuff like that, it has to go because I hate when they infantilize women, right? Or it's because women are slow and everything. Or maybe she's not excited enough. Because honestly, where would she be? It's like what? So we have to talk in bed some more about how she feels. Is that what's gonna explain? Mm-hmm. Maybe some of them, seriously doubt all women are like that. Maybe, like, like men on the other side, they're about the same. They're like, can we make this exciting, please? And no, psychotherapy session in the middle of sex is probably not going to solve the problem. Hmm. Mm. This is good because it's pulling this, like, I already was like probably. Women, in- like, ladies, come on. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, give me a break. Like, come on. Like, we have to stop with the, oh, those women are such fragile. Like, do you think women don't like sex as much as men? They just position themselves differently, but they're not stupid. Men are as bad as oblivious to the world. We're going to, you know, like, oh, uh, women are far smarter, that's all. So they're going to position themselves in a way where, like, well, you know, like, uh, like come on. Mm. Like, like, women don't like aggression either. Like, men like aggression, women like aggression. We're just not talking about getting beat up or stuff like that. But there has to be... A, are you going to tell me that women are sexually attracted to non-confident men? Well, that's the birth control thing. That's the, the yeah, that's exactly. the thing. The second they are birth control, they, they, they look at their mate differently. It's been shown. And they start to look for specific masculine features because they are, their body doesn't feel pregnant anymore. Okay. This yes, is so good. women are... I'm sorry, we all still have bodies, including women. Mm-hmm. So we have to stop that bullshit argument like women are not human beings. Like, I'm not, like, the whole, like, worship the goddess, you're still human beings. Yeah. And they would all agree they just feel attacked because there's some assholes, red pill guy who's blasting them. And that's not the point. The point is, can we just talk, please? Can we go back to talking about having, like, normal talk between men and women going, like, you like that? I like that? Let's make it work. But I've yet to see women attracted to the, to the better thing. Like, oh, no, I just, let's talk about my feelings and let me cry a little bit. And then that makes you very excited. Like, I'm sorry. I know I'm going to sound like an asshole, but uh, let, let me put it this way. I don't think the way we're doing things is working for women. Yeah, 100%. Well, then, like, there's a certain level, and this is something I've realized, because, you know, you come in, you want to be, like, an emotionally present man and that stuff and it's like you end up bringing all these problems yeah absolutely it's it's like this passive so you want to be emotionally mature yes i think we can both all agree on that yeah but like yeah do you know what it means would you want to mean to be emotionally mature is it telling your wife you love her and then that she's the only woman in your life and okay so that's the vulnerability they want is you telling her that that you care about her and everything that doesn't mean crying on their lap because some dude treats you badly at work. 
Yeah. Well, that, that, that's like the, the, the beauty of jujitsu in some senses. It's like you need a, men to me, it seems men need a place where they can go be with other men and work out other like work out like their physical, like work out their physiology. And yes. we need violence. But we need violence. We, we, you just won't go out there and get beer. That's not the point. The point is control violence. So jujitsu has established certain limits. And within those limits, you're going to try to take the other, other guy's head off. And the first time, you're going to panic. So that's the archetype of the hero, right? If any, and it's been talked about so many times, look at mythology. The hero always struggles, right? First, he gets beat up. Then he's going to grow from there, start training, and at the end, come back and beat the aggressor. If that's not jiu-jitsu, I don't worry. First session, you're like, I'm going to die, right? And the, the coach is like, no, it's all good, man. You're my friend. You're my friend. Because he's Brazilian. And then you're my friend. And but in the meantime, he's choking you to death yeah. like six times in a row. And you freak out and you go, ah! And he's half your size and you don't understand what's happening. Right. And then you become a blue belt. And a purple. So yeah, there's a progression, right? You're starting to get a new gear. The new belt is a new gear that you have on those RPG games. It's, yeah. you have a new armor, and then you start to get a bigger gun, and then, you know, that's a new belt, and then you get better, and now you don't get beat up anymore, you can start to defend, so, oh, I'm progressing, and eventually you have a black belt who submits the white belt, and now you're the hero, and the man looks at you, going like, oh my god, you're so good, and you go like, oh, that's the progression of life, now I get it, it's an archetype of the hero, this, this is any good movie you've ever seen, and this is why Captain Marvel sucked, because she got a power like this, out of the blue, because of an explosion, and you go like, you didn't deserve it. You just got lucky. How am I supposed to root for you? After being a massive bitch, I don't understand what the point of the movie is. I can't, could, I can't root for you. You didn't go through struggle. Even Thanos saw his home world being destroyed. Even I was a psycho as he is in the movie. The comic book is different. But in the movie, you start to go, oh, okay. I disagree with it. Yeah. It's the hero archetype that is very important. That's what Jiu-Jitsu represents. And it works because the first session, you get your ass beat. Bad. Yeah. Like, bad, where you, you question your masculinity and you'll be like, I just got manhandled for two hours. I'm going to go cry over there, away from everybody for like a 30 minutes, and I'm going to try to recompose myself and not talk to anybody for three days. Maybe it was just me. <laughs> but my first experience, I had a panic attack, man. Like, Elevator trapped on fire, that's what it felt like. I must have changed colors because the guy was on top of him choking me and he went, Oh, he went literally like that. He's like, Do I go sit down? And I'm like, Ah, and I'm like, um, what do, like, what do you mean sit down? Like, I'm, what, 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 what? And, and an hour later, I was like, What just happened? I, I don't understand how I reacted, but I knew something. If I can master that, I'll never be scared again in my life because nothing has ever scared me as much. Because at that moment, I was like, that can, like, it's not a conscious thought, but like, that guy can kill me. Literally, I, if he wants, I'm dead. Yeah, right. In that moment. Will. In that moment. Oh, yeah. You're like, he can kill you. Like, easily. Like, if he goes, you're dead. There's nothing you can do about it. I had that realization, oh. yeah, a few, like, two months in or something, or a few, like, you realize that, oh, this is all fun and games, so I can say the magic word yeah, and say, yeah, okay, yeah, good. Yeah. But, like, legitimately, I'm five seconds. It's away from that, and you don't think about yeah. it, but that is. And you, um, I'm on. Control it. Like the guy, there's nothing you can do about it. Oh, it's terrorizing. I've got uh, which, which is funny because the prediction thing, in some sense, yeah. I know that like that because I'm going to my 97th class tonight. But like, yeah, I've, I've counted 100. But the point is, of the of the handful of times I've tapped somebody, it's not 
that physically I I felt their body shift. It's like I felt their soul give in. You know, it's like there's this weird yeah. like you know, like I got it like right. that's it. Yep. It's it I broke their intention, which is bizarre. It's a weird, yeah. but it feels yeah. You you to how wrong you were walking onto the map the first time, and that's the shock, right? It's not because the guy didn't hurt you. He actually, you know, it was your first class. He was actually very nice to you. Now you can realize how nice to you he was. And he never did anything remotely dangerous to you or even that bad. The problem was the expectation yes. of what was to happen. Oh, I'm going to do this, and then I'm in shape, and then I'm strong, and then like you're none of those things. You start, <laughs> and you're going to die. <laughs> that's pretty much. So that's why, like all the black belts, when they receive the white belts, they're like, "Oh God, it's going to get it again." My God, it's like let me just you know ragdoll a little bit at close, dude, because I went through it. And by the way, John Machado did that to me every every single session anyway, where I knew exactly what he was going to do, and I still couldn't stop him. That's another type of frustration, by the way. But again, because your expectations are. But you know why the John Machado didn't shock me anymore? Because I knew I was going to lose. The question was how and how long. Mm. So imagine you're a black belt and you get punched. Another black belt is being disguised as a white belt. And you fight against the guy and it takes you, it takes you 10 minutes to submit the guy. You feel you won or lost? A lot. Absolutely. You go against Jean-Jacques Machado because I did that and you survived six minutes. That's great. You win or lose? It's, oh, yeah. Biggest win ever. <laughs> probably not six minutes, probably was three, but it felt like, felt like two hours anyway. But um, I forgot to put it in every submission, but I got out. Or at least seven or eight of them. That could be a day. Is a, I was a blue belt. It's the biggest victory I've ever had. It's because he took it easy because he wasn't in shape and he didn't know, he didn't know what to expect. It doesn't matter to me. It's my greatest victory ever. So, you, you know what I mean? Even though yeah. I got I didn't use my for me everywhere, put me in every submission. Doesn't matter to me, I won't. Whereas on the other situation, I would lose. So that's the thing: is it's not the so much the physical win or loss that that will trigger that that crisis to the sense of self. That first session was not that hard physically. Mm -hmm. The threat to you was, mm -hmm. but to your sense of self, it wasn't a physical threat because the guy didn't go that hard. It was that you realize at that moment that your sense of self, there was a threat in your sense of self. You were being manhandled. You know what really panics you is there's nothing you can do. Yeah, yeah. That for a man is very hard to take. Yeah. Because we can always fight, right? And if you get angry, you can do shit. <laughs> But you know, like all oh men, look at us. The second we drink is like, all I need to win a fight is to get angry. Yeah. That's 90%, 99% of men out there. If I get angry, I will win the fight. No, it's about skill and experience. Like in the Jiu-Jitsu stuff, like I had guys like, you know, the 40-year-old blue belt, and he's like, and he's fighting me. And I'm like, dude, I'm stronger, better, more technical, more experienced than you. You're going to lose. That's not the question. The question is, can you learn from what I'm doing so that you do it to your friend over there? But you're not doing that shit to me. I'm just going to beat you. Like, it's just a fact of life. That's okay, by the way. That's not the point. You're a blue belt. Like, you're not. I'm a better athlete. I'm stronger, faster. I'm heavier than you. I'm more experienced. I'm better. All right, so you're going to lose. That's okay. John Machado did that shit to me every single time. That's not the point. The point is, what can you learn from mm. 
right? So the problem is you get into it, and the first day you're like, ha, ha, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. And then suddenly your, your work is put upside down. Well, the exercise controls you to the point where I could kill you if mm. you wanted to. Mm. Welcome to life. And that's why it's the greatest experience ever, because that will rock you into your, a set of beliefs like nothing has ever been. Not I, your father, your father didn't beat you up as bad. Yeah. The, I mean, there's like a, this last year in many levels has been a very humbling phase, but it's like, you, you could say like, oh, all the different things, but in, in multiple levels, I kind of put myself in a place where like all the things I thought I was good at, like it's not, and then, but jujitsu has been the icing on the cake, if not the whole cake, or it's like, you oh, yeah. just, you walk out, you're like, I guess that's the point. There's no excuse. You think there's no excuse. Did you do the tap from exhaustion? Or right? I've tapped from every, uh, like, I, I've tapped under pressure. I just, I haven't tapped from exhaustion yet, just because, like, oh, it's not been, I, I can see I've done twice, and I still remember. So most, it was blue belt. It was the most humiliating thing ever. That's why I was like, I need to get in shape, because I never yeah. do that shit again. But I just couldn't take, I couldn't take the pressure of the guy anymore. He was very good at it. He was putting pressure on me, and that's what yeah, I quit. I just done that really. I remember, so in SEMA, who you get to meet, he runs the PowerCast project. He, he used to be like, he's, yeah, he's 250. He's, he's a phenomenal guy, but he's like, he would just get on me and just the pressure smashed me and I would tap him, he goes, why'd you tap? I was like, uh, I couldn't breathe. Is that an obvious yeah. goes, That was on a tap. I was like, okay. But it, like having guys like that, I'm like, I know that hurts and I know that sucks, but that's on a tap. And now at this point, I'm like, you know, you just, yeah. see, it's, yeah, but. You yeah. Right. But so, so you, you see how much, like, it's not necessarily the, it is the physical reality of it, but it's how it impacts specific systems in mm. place. So the point was like, all right, so which one are those? And how do we change that? Because if you can change that, then we react better. If we react better, we have better chance of survival. Perfect. So, right, so it can be jujitsu, but it's the same thing of my client with the boss. It's exactly the same idea. Which then, you gotta, like, I think that I'd love to hear you give a, a reasonably quick overview of the, the autism stuff you've been working on, because I think that like right. this ability to predict and, and change that physiology, like you, you're fixing what is a lost throwaway cause for most people. Like they just, ah, you got autism, sorry, like you just go with that, you know? But Robert Kennedy Jr. is trying to bring it up from the, the vaccine perspective, which is a problem, but people misunderstand him. He's not talking about vaccine, he's talking about mercury. So the point that could be made is that um, autism is understood. So first of all, people say autism, you have to understand. They mean ASD, right? They mean mm -hmm. autism syndrome disorder, right? That's very different from autism from what we call the spectrum. The spectrum seems to be more of a function. So let me go back to the prior I was talking about. Prediction observation, the gap between the two is being resolved, that's called a prior. It would take me another two hours to go deeply into that model, but, to go, but let, let me put it this way. It seems that autism as a function, what we call the spectrum, is just a function right, of a low prior, which means, uh, let me explain that from a precision versus accuracy perspective. You take a selfie of yourself in a, in with those new channels, right? They're gonna blur slightly the background so that your face is more visible. So that picture is more precise, but it's not accurate because you don't see the background as well. It's less accurate, but it's more precise. On the other if you take a panoramic view, you want to see everything. So now, if I'm there, but you take the whole thing, the picture is less precise, but more accurate. Right. Mm. The difference between the two is a prior. When I 
take a selfie, there is a prior. The camera knows it's a selfie and therefore it's going to focus on the face and blur the background. So he has learned from history that the focus is on the face. That's a prediction. That's a prior based on prediction. That's schizophrenia. On the other Do you... Uh, yeah, go ahead. A question. Do you... Are you familiar? I don't know what, what year your phone is, but like the new phones is the portrait mode and the cinematic mode for yeah. filming. Like, I... That's a love. Yeah, I love. I don't like any. Like, I know the 4K looks great stuff, but like, there's something about the portrait mode and and some of that is everything I do because it brings. That's prediction based. Yeah, that's prediction based. Yeah, right. Whereas observation based would be the accuracy of the panoramic mode, where it takes everything in. So, long story short, the spectrum favors the accuracy, favors observation mode, Uh whereas schizophrenia favors prediction mode. Mm -hmm. Long story short. Yeah. So you have a hypoprior versus a hyperprior. So if you have a function like that, what would the hypoprior what the function is? The function of autism is to produce savants. People that can think in layers, like 4D chess, basically. Mm-hmm. They can take this, 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 they put it together. This is Ramanujan. This is that's the difference between a genius and a savant. A savant and Ramanujan, a genius is Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein had an idea that he pushed forward. Ramanujan just had answers coming to him. He could not tell you how he got the answers, he just knew them. There's a difference between a genius and a savant. Mm-hmm. So I don't have the time to go into details, but that's the point of autism, is to produce savants. It's, it's a specific way of taking, it's a very efficient nervous system to our observation, to our gathering data, understanding patterns, and coming up with an answer. But it's not based on the prediction model as much. So that's a hypo prior, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have that function and you dysregulate that function, by toxicity from the outside, mercury, uh, glyphosate, whatever chemicals come and start to dysregulate the system, then you would have a person that is excessively in touch with the environment to the point of dysfunction. Mm. Right? So that, that means that anything touching their skin, their skin, they will not be able to handle it. So that means that texture becomes very important. Uh, taste of the food, um, stimulus from light, from noise, from things like this. And so also if a picture is more accurate, that means it's new or because it doesn't take the history into account. If everything is new, everything is scary because it's new. That's a difference mechanism. If what do you do when things are scary? You establish rituals. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed artistic people are extremely ritualistic? Yeah. That's the only way you can make the world safe. So if you see the symptoms, you see them as an attempt to make the world safe. So the key is dysregulation. All right, so dysregulation, this metabolism, how we talked about it, toxicity is probably a problem. That's what it's trying to, uh, is trying to bring forward. So toxicity, that's another thing. What we're going to focus with my partners that are actually on there, Mike and, and Victor, is we want to bring the metabolism aspect. So there's going to be the training and the nutrition and all that stuff and see what works, what doesn't work. So we need a testing system in place and that's where tech can help. But we need to be able to serve a population that no one wants to touch. No one wants to train them. No one wants to see what's right or wrong. Big Pharma doesn't make money because drugs are not working that well. So no one is going there. So I was like, all right, I have a vested interest because I'm on the spectrum. So it's my wife, so it's my daughter. So I was like, all right. Then I have a vested interest. Can we start see what we can do for the population? And Mike, uh, one of my two partners, has a gym in LA 
where he's been doing that. And he's been into the world of autism for a long time, but he had a gym where we started to actually see the results of that approach, right, put into action. And we saw tremendous results. And like right now, we're helping 100 families, like 100 families per gym. All right, so imagine if we have 100 programs out there. That's 10,000 families. That's a lot of people. Imagine 1,000 clients. So suddenly we're like, all right, so how do we scale? What do we need? We need to take, we need the business. We need like, okay, so like right now we have like three gyms. We're going to open two more. And then we want to start launching programs, like to teach coaches on how to do what we do. And to have, and there's an entire structure that the government has to help toward that, that no one is touching into because no one wants to train the population. I was like, all right, then I'll teach you. There's something to be done. Then, okay, well, then let's do something about mm-hmm. it. Need versus want, man. There's a yeah. need. See a need, feel a need. Remember Robots, that movie with Mel Brooks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, See a need, feel a need. I yeah, all right. I kind of agree. This is something for people listening that, that will be unveiling probably exponentially fast just because of the need and yes. use case. And there's, it's, it's amazing because there are so many people that are interested and invested either personally or just uh, from a feel call towards it. So like mm-hmm. you'll find people to step up to that. But what you're basically putting forth is a model that um, for someone that comes in and you, you describe this, like the conceptual doesn't really hold a lot of sway over that. Like you don't just, what's a rep? What's eight reps? What's 10 reps? Why would I do that? But having a very specific. That's, that's abstract. Yeah. Picture. Yeah. So if you have a hypo prior system, right, that means abstract is a problem mm-hmm. because you, you face abstract with a confidence in your history in that mm-hmm. aspect. Mm-hmm. If I say 15 reps, you're going to do 15 reps because you know it works. Right, that's the yep. price that you make. If everything is new, 15 reps, and like, what about 14? What about 16? What's the difference? Right? I, I know that that's my problem with reps. I'm like, what if I stop at 12? Did I win? Did I lose? Well, okay, so 15, but what if I could do more work? What if? So I just put myself into freeze every time because that's a prediction-based model. Abstraction is prediction-based mm-hmm. by definition. Right? So what we did instead is we provided a line, right? A physical line that can be seen so that the observation model can see the line, right? And then we take a set there and back. So there's two lines, you reach it with it. The difference is when I do that, is I change the world. The thread was over there, it comes here. There yeah. was an effect on the world that allowed me to push forward. That is something a, a hypo prior person will understand. Yes. Well, 15 reps has no conceptual value whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I know that for myself. So that's why I carry so much, because I'm going somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it, it may be hard for people that are not on the spectrum to understand how deeply this goes. But we've seen it with the kids again and again and again. We have videos of kids carrying a sandbag of their own weight, their own body weight, and they go and they push when they go to carry, and then they are back because they understand what is it they are doing. You put them on an airdyne, and they go, uh, because they don't even know where they're, they're like, what the fuck am I doing here? So you can see. A complete disinterest, and they're like, uh, which is the face I make when I'm on it. I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? And then, even if I kill the thing, I get like 60 seconds, I get 70 cap, right? They, uh, and then I step out and I look at the fucking thing, and it hasn't moved. Like, outside of me feeling like shit, you need to explain to me what changed in this world for me doing 70 cal in 60 yeah. seconds. I still don't understand the difference. Yeah. Yeah, 60 child, no, no fucking way. 30 child, whatever it is. Um, whatever I got in 60 child. 
Can you get seven feet? I'm not even sure. I don't. Wait. I think the the world you can. Uh, the like the world record for they they those calorie challenges on Aerodyne are the most miserable things. Oh my god! Oh my god! But what I like on the week time after time is like I don't understand what is it that I did. Yeah. 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 What did I change? For the sled, for cherry, I took a thousand pounds. I put it over there. Score. I won. I changed the world. The Aerodyne. Conceptually, I do not understand. Mm. Like, you have to understand that like, the savants, it's only imprinted on certain things. So, for example, I cannot understand paintings. Like, you see a painting, you see a message. I see lines. I do not understand painting. My thing as a savant is the 3D models. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a very, very specific thing. So, I was really good at spatial geometry. That's my thing. So, I understand 3D models. I cannot understand paintings. It makes, mm-hmm. I do, I, it's hard to explain. I don't know what it says. Okay, that makes it's, sense. It's just my brain doesn't doesn't grip. I don't. It's like a foreign language. Like you try to read Chinese, I can't. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking at. I look at a painting. I don't know what I'm looking at. When I do the other line, I don't mm. know what I'm looking at. Mm. But you put me on the sled. I'm like, I'm gonna kill that bitch. Yeah, uh, which is why you would murder me in a role because you, you like the, you have the problem comes, which is so in a sense what you're you're giving. Most of the, let's just talk, I actually probably almost all psychotherapy deals in the conceptual. So you're trying to take someone who has an impossible. Psychotherapy is changing the prediction. Remember I told you the three ways of dealing with a prediction error? Yeah. Right. Psychotherapy is changing the prediction. Oh, you thought about it wrong. Yeah. You cannot do psychotherapy on me. I'd be like, yeah. So what's your point? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So in a sense, you flip back around and you say, okay, so if, if the, the medications are only just like, that's the symptom treatment and it's not actually making any change, because if it was making change, there'd be billion dollar, these billion dollar companies would be going after it. And the psychotherapy, which is the sit down, shut up, pay attention in school model, in a sense, is not yep. working. So what you're doing is creating an inroad for people to have access to their body through physical problem solving. I'm just creating the, the problem solving from the observation side. So yes. I'm looking at it from a nervous system perspective. How do I make your nervous system more efficient? Because this regulation is in your nervous system, your observational model, which is observational model means how do you gather data? That is the role of the autonomic nervous system. So that means that if I can regulate your autonomic nervous system, I will allow you to lesser the symptoms by definition. And so that's what I'm doing. So the symptom thing is, is it fair to say that people with ADHD are on the uh, like meaning i guess this adhd is this very big bucket that i think has lost meaning but let's say the quintessential like daydreaming constantly is that more someone who's a very strong prior a hyper prior Mm-mm, not necessarily like adhd we see it on both sides so we actually see it with autism a lot mm. so it seems that it's more like the nervous system is ramping up and so for example imagine if the wind okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna make a joke about that but imagine if the feeling of the wind Gave you sexual excitation every time. Yeah. You would spend a lot of time feeling the wind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. sometimes daydreaming is because whatever it is what that you're playing with is like it's just not the same. It's like, oh I like that, so I'm gonna stay there. Yeah, yeah. And then you can't bring yourself back to the other stuff because your stuff has no interest. That's me on the other line. Now I'm like, so a kid uh, with autism, especially SD on the other looks like he's daydreaming. It's like, can you please pay attention? The answer is no. Hmm. I don't know how this works because you're missing the, like it's like me with painting it's not going to work out i don't understand you're asking me to read chinese and they were mm-hmm. 
I cannot read Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Like that's not going to happen. So, and this is the problem we have with the autism population is it's mostly decided people that are not on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so they do not understand our way. We do not think the same. Yeah. It's, I think in layers. Did you ever notice? I don't think in one, two, three, four, ever. I think in layers. So you're telling me this, but there's this, and then there's that one, and then there's that one, yeah. and then there's that one. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to map out. <laughs> yeah, I can, because that's my map is on layers. So I can, I, I have to put five concepts together to explain something. Yeah. So it's very hard always to do, but that's, if you see, that's why people are always super confused when I see, because I put five different models into one, and then, and, and you go like, the fuck did you go there? Well, I just put the five over there. To, what do you mean? Yeah. I don't know how I do it. Well, and that, I just where you start off from the beginning of the call, and I'm like, you can talk about this, this, this. Like, well, I can't talk about any of those without talking about the whole thing. Like, which, you got a layer cake. It's like, which part of the cake do you want? I want that one. It's like, well, you're getting the whole slice, you know? <laughs> because I cannot think any differently. Yeah. That's how my brain works. When people ask me to do A, B, C, D, I'm like, I get to B, and I'm like, but I can't get to C, because I didn't, A is not, like, I just don't think like yeah. that. So this is always going to be the gap, right? Is um, I will never understand a certain way of thinking. Just like that. But that's, by the way, and that's okay. The point is, how do you make it work? Because if you understand things conceptually, then I have workouts that I can use for someone who would be more a hyper prior, more like towards schizophrenia type of thing. There's a way to exacerbate the dysregulation or there's a way to make it better. Same thing going to be with autism is you can make the symptoms worse or better. And we're not fixing, curing anybody here because you do not fix a function. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, dysregulated mm-hmm. or regulated. Mm-hmm. That, those are the two options. What we want to do is help regulation mm-hmm. because there's a shit ton of things that dysregulate the kids. All right? So let's work toward regulation instead of dysregulation. Would That's you, the, the idea of, is, a, is a cold plunge, is that somewhat similar to this like cue idea where you put yourself in a physical space? So I have different problems with the cold plunge. Does it work? 100%. If you stay very active mentally. So first problem with the cold plunge, you can do it in a very passive way where you just endure the cold and you're not active about it. Wim Hof talks about it all the time. You have people continuously going into a nice bath. It doesn't do anything because they just endure it, mm. which is not the point. You want the reaction. You just want to take control of the reaction. So you want to be very active about it. Okay. Right? But it does put you into a sympathetic and teaches you to be active about it. Second problem, over time, that stimulus will just lessen because there's no way to crank it up. Eventually, you'll just kill yourself. You can't stay longer and you can't go colder. You're just going to hurt yourself, right? So what you're doing really is training your nervous system with the ice cold bath. But eventually, the stimulus starts to, starts to lessen. And then what do we do? And always, the, and the third problem is it is a passive way of going there. Unless you're going and you swim 50 meters under in freezing water. Mm. Remember, I Wim Hof started. It wasn't just the cold. Yeah. A guy, didn't he climb Kilimanjaro in shorts? Yeah. Shit like that? With no shoes, right. I think. And then he, he swam 50 meters underwater and then he did this. You're supposed to take it into active things, physical things, not just the cold plunge. All you're doing at first is controlling a stressor, which is great for a time. Mm-hmm. But then what? Well, it's, I found like just even the, the first just controlling the stress, it was good. But now I found like just starting to get some motion in my head and neck. It's like just on a daily thing as I get in there and start to like use the suspended. It's, it hits a few birds with one stone, but it like 
you know, just getting my neck like, because I'm suspended in water. But that's that's good. You, and you're going to be more active. You're starting to be more active, but eventually you're going to go to your system. It's like oh, okay, so it's cold. Then what? Yeah. Well, I keep keep it at fifty degrees. I'm not even that. I, I haven't even played that game with like real hard stuff. <laughs> I just right. Like, so you can start playing that game, but eventually you're going to run into the same thing. Mm, okay. Like I guess you could say the same thing about exercise, but we still have control of the variables yeah. far more than a cold yeah. plunge. Different types of exercise, different energy systems. Like you, you can play with things with six and exercise no matter what you're yeah. active. Now, can you endure into exercise? Yes, you can. Can you endure a sled instead of being active about it? That is true as well. But this is why we spend so much time working toward uh, the press toward exercising correctly with the right intent. Is because unfortunately you can take anything and fuck it up. I believe there is a way to approach training for the autism population, just like I believe there is a way to approach the anxiety population. Uh, and there's a way to train to obviously help the metabolism, but also the reactions to stress and things like this. And I think if you look at panic attacks, there's both ways. There's the metabolism aspect, and there's also dealing with adversity type of thing. Mm -hmm. And the best way to deal with uh, adversity is with control variables. Like in the gym, for example, that's still the best way to do it. So we, we're doing a study with uh, Professor Nasser Ahmadi of UCLA. He's a, one of the top child psychiatrists. He deals mostly with adolescent PTSD. And we did a, a pilot study with a number of, of people that were like suicidal, which I didn't know at the time. So he threw them on me, that bastard, and did not tell me. I'm like, all right. And so uh, and I saw a couple almost getting into a panic attack. I was like, what's happening? So... I triggered the ventral vagus nerve through a set of uh, cyclical exercises with proper breathing. You exhale on the way down, inhale on the on the way up. So opposite, right? So inhale on the way down, exhale. No, uh, that, the opposite. So exhale on the way down, inhale on the way up, right? Opposite. And then uh, with a cyclical motion, very specific in order to trigger trigger the, the vagus nerve. And they were able to control the panic attack. Within, after the second session, I had one of them coming to me and say, you know what, yesterday I had um, in between, I was about to have a panic attack and I was able to hold for two hours before I took the medication. Oh, wow. Two, two hours when you're going to have a panic attack is an eternity. And she did it not because I changed her metabolism in two sessions. It's because I showed her control or that she had agency mm -hmm. within that. And that was, so therefore, there was the handling of the stress. Positive stress is all homelessness, it's positive response to stress. That's a very important thing, right? within the allostasis uh, thing, is that positive response to stress. And that comes down to agency being active toward whatever that stressor is and not enduring. That's the fight versus flight system. And so that gave her ag agency of her own panic for two mm -hmm. hours. She was so happy. That's amazing. She was like, oh, we're, doing, we're doing good work. But the ideas, whether it's anxiety or autism, the ideas come from the same concept. It just has to be applied correctly. That's what I want to teach is, okay, how are we going to apply those concepts so that we can help both those um, populations? Because in both cases, I mean, anxiety, there's a lot of drugs and stuff like that. But it's basically, no one is talking about metabolism. No one is talking about toxicity. No one is talking about being active in the gym as to control variables and creating your own agency. Those are things we are just not. It's either Big Pharma has complete control of it or zero control. Mm -hmm. And if Big Pharma has zero interest in it, legal. no one is doing anything. Yeah. yeah. Or they make it legal, yeah. 
Oh no, that that one you find that's oh. why I have interest in it. Oh, I see. Yes, it. Okay. And, and then they go like, if you're not doing what we do, you're a quack and it's illegal. Yes. All right. Last up, a uh, mini, mini, mini question is. Of all the Marvel, D, I don't know, do you decide, are you a Marvel or DC guy, or do you care specifically? I'm both. I'm, yes, I'm, I'm, I would go more to Marvel because I always like the X-Men. Is there, a, Marvel, is there a, a, um, I don't like DC, but yeah. Is there a superhero or supervillain that you most identify with? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I would go, I mean, if you ask me the one that still, that I like the most still, it has to be, uh, I think, Vegeta. I, I, you gotta love Vegeta from Dragon Ball. Okay. He has something called Ultra Ego now. Yeah, he's a god of destruction. You have to see this. It is so, ah, oh, it's so good. But um, my, it's funny because my tastes have evolved over time. As I was younger, I was Wolverine, all the way. You know, like the trouble hero, like he's, he's feral, but at the same time, he's trying to be a human being and everything. Oh, it was so good. We're talking Marvel now, now, now that the shit Marvel then, not the shit they're doing. Yeah, yeah. But um, back then it was X-Men all the way. There was a few that were really cool, but I would have to, I would have to go with the X-Men. Okay. Like uh, that was by far my, my shit. Honestly, like the, I don't know if you ever read the Green Lantern Corps and like the War of the Lanterns, you know, they had the Red Lantern and then the Yellow and everything. There was an entire thing on DC that was a cool arc. But if you were to choose, I would go X-Men were well, by far my favorite uh, of all time. And then I'm still a Dragon Ball Z fan. Okay. Sango and Vegeta. It's just, I'm still, I have all the t-shirts, the sweatshirts. I call my dog Gogeta. Uh, I'm still a massive nerd and I love animes, man. Like it's just, uh, but like old school Marvel, I gotta tell you the X-Men were the- Okay. Fan. All right, that's perfect. That's excellent. Super yeah, Supervillain is a good, that's a good question. I have to think about that one. There was a few cool ones. There were some really cool ones. I have to see, that's a good question. Super villain. I never thought about it. That's a good one. I have to think about that. Uh, okay. Excellent. Well, Julian, this has been, I mean, like just uh, hours and hours of just thinking and just, I'm so grateful for you and the fact that you exist. And, you know, if you continue on this path, obviously, like, unfortunately, yeah. the way things work, you, you know, genius won't be recognized until decades after you die. So you have to die for people who are but thank you so much for your time. Um, and I will strip this, make it a podcast, and share that whole thing. But it'll be up on the page. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. My pleasure, man. Bye. See you soon.